Welcome to the Word of a King podcast. It's where culture clashes with our calling, where preaching is more important than popularity, where we rightly divide and properly apply the scriptures, where we put to rest common and controversial issues. We do this by looking to the Word of a King. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the thing says. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding. Amen, amen. Again, welcome to the Word of a King podcast. I am your host, Chad Reese, pastor at Lighthouse Baptist Church, and my co-host, Brother Brian Beam. Um, we're just having a good time, and I've enjoyed the first three episodes where we did a book review on tribulation salvation. If you did not watch or listen to those episodes, we encourage you to do so. Um, but uh, I'm looking forward to the subject at hand. We're going to deal with on how to study the Bible. And uh, I believe this topic is important. Uh, it's helped me out when I uh, first got saved. It still helps me out today. And uh, so, Brother Brian, just, I, I don't know, just maybe some opening comments on the importance of the book and why this is an important podcast today. 2 Timothy 2.15, one of the great verses in the Bible says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It tells you what to do, study. It tells you why to do it, that you may be approved unto God. And it tells you how to do it, which we'll get into later. But it's a very important subject, how to study the Bible. Yeah, and obviously God gave us a verse, and, and it's a command he tells us to. He tells us to study the Bible. And uh, I think it's very important because there is a biblical way to study the Bible, and there's a wrong way to study the Bible. Uh, we're not going to deal with so much the wrong way. We're going we're gonna to shed some light and hopefully help you on how to study the Bible. And uh, so I think in just regards to opening up this podcast, um, maybe we'll just kind of deal with your attitude or your heart or some, some basic principles overlaying um, how to study the Bible. And uh, Brother Brian, I think I'm going to... Uh, turn over to you and just give us some thoughts on what you think about having the proper attitude in regards to studying the Bible. I think the first thing is kind of obvious, but if you're a King James Bible believer, you get where I'm going with this. Number one, you have God's words. Amen. You can't study the Bible unless you have the Bible. Jesus Christ in John 5 said, search the scriptures. Well, you have to take for granted you have the scriptures. Uh, Study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly dividing the word. So you have to have God's words before you study it. And again, we're not really looking at what the improper way to study the Bible, but you know, if you're not a King James Bible believer, you don't really have a Bible. The word Bible, Biblos, means book. And you don't really have a book that has the words of God without error in it. Well, the, you know, thank God we do. So you have to have God's word to study it. If you don't believe what you have in your hands is God's words, you're you know, you're not really going to study it or it's not sure. going to be that important to you. So that, that would be the first thing I would say. And, and I think that's uh, worthy just to have a, just a couple minutes of discussion about. You mentioned about the scriptures and having God's word. And, and uh, Brother Brian, do you, think, do you think it's a fair statement to say if you have the scriptures, you have God's word? And if you don't have the scriptures, then you don't have God's word? I agree. And uh, so, so obviously... Why, why, and I know you know, and we're, we're obviously I'm playing off of you for uh, the viewers' benefit and those that are listening and watching. 
But why is that important? What what is significant about scriptures? Well, Second Timothy three sixteen says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. But what's really interesting, a lot of people write books on the scripture, the inspiration of the Word of God, or our God breathed Bible. Lots of people over the years, liberal, fundamental, whatever they are, and they all quote that verse. But what they mean by it isn't what's in the context. Right. Nobody on earth but a wacky, crazy, you know, fringe group like us, the King James <laughs> Bible believers, actually believes verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. They say only the originals, right. the originals that Moses penned, the originals that Isaiah penned, the originals that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John penned that disappeared 1,900 plus years ago, only those were inspired. They were God-breathed. They had the breath of God on them. They were without mistake. Every fundamental major Christian college and most pastors and denominations who are taught by these you know, professional liars, as Doc would call them, they teach only the originals are scripture, they're God-breathed. But if you look at the context of 2 Timothy 3.16, it goes against what every single one of them teach, and it agrees with what we say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, so you mentioned there, but verse 15, the context <laughs> yeah. is is what? what? What's going on here in verse 15? It's Paul talking to Timothy about his mom and grandma who taught him scripture as a child. Yeah, so again, 2 Timothy 2.15, and from a child that has has known the holy scriptures. The originals. <laughs> yeah. I don't think uh, they had the originals. <laughs> uh, matter of fact, I know they didn't have the originals. Um, and from a and that from a child thou has known the holy scriptures, which were able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So again, what you're saying is absolutely true. Obviously, they had the scriptures. And the next verse tells you all scripture is given by inspiration. He had something inspired. Inspired. And so that's why we say we believe we have these scriptures in the King James Bible. We believe they are the inspired words of God. Not the inspired word, but the words. They're inspired. And so the whole point, this argument that the scriptures are the originals. Well, in Acts chapter 8, when... Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch and he goes over to him and he asks him to understand what thou readest. It says here, and uh, well, just read a little bit of context, verse 30. The Bible says, And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? Obviously, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. <laughs> Interesting what it says in verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. And of course, he goes on and reads to him Isaiah chapter 53. He's preaching to him about Jesus. He explains to him who it is. But my point for this podcast is here's this Ethiopian eunuch and he has the originals. <laughs> How did he get the originals? Did Timothy have them? <laughs> I thought Timothy had them. Wait, I thought they had them in the synagogue. With Jesus. In Luke 4. Yeah. In Luke 4. He opened up the scriptures. Yeah, so who has the originals? originals? Apparently, the word scripture doesn't mean the original. Obviously, it doesn't. And uh, uh, we're being very <laughs> facetious and, and sarcastic. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it does not mean originals. Um, what it does mean is they're inspired. So, Brother Brian, do you have the inspired scriptures? I do. Amen. And so do I. So, if you're going to study the scriptures, you got to have them. So, thank God we have them. I think that's a good foundation. If you're going to study the Bible, make sure you have the scriptures. And this King James Bible is the scriptures. What else? What else uh, do you think? Kind of goes along with it. Number two, I would say 
that you have to believe this is God's word. Mm. Okay? 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But these were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Yeah. I'm misquoting the verse. I thank God without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, that for this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, right. but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also. This is the word of God, and it will work in you if you what? In you that believe. I believe every word of this is the word of God. And Pastor Chad believes every word is the word of God. And any Bible-believing Christian who believes the Bible they hold in their hand actually is the word of God, imagine that. Yeah. God will show them things that he'll never show anybody. I don't care if they have 75 years of professional Greek and Hebrew training and 10 earned degrees, because any verse they come to that they don't like or they don't understand, they just dumb it down to their own ignorance and say, well, the Hebrew says this or the Greek says that. All 31,102, I believe it is, verses in the King James Bible have been attacked in some form or another in some commentary or some Greek expert or some new version. And all they're doing is is putting the Bible down to their own stupidity. Right. If you believe this is the Word of God, this is the Scripture, it's given from God, it will work in you, it will do amazing things, it will bring forth fruit, and it will help you to study the Bible by believing this is the Word of God. And if you do that, you're not going to say, this is a mistake, and this wasn't the original, and this is better translated here, and the last ten words of Romans 8 one have been interpolated. Right. And my, it's, it's madness. You're not going to learn anything by that. You are, you are smarter than the Bible. Right. You can tell the Bible what it should say, and God just shuts it off. That's right. Revelation. The old saying is, you know, uh, God will give you light. And if you'll receive that light, he'll give you more light. But if you reject that light, it becomes lightning and you don't have that light anymore. And so, again, it's not it's not just that you have to have the scriptures. You have to believe that this is the word of God. Amen. And it said, he said those, I believe it effectually works in them. So that's what you want. You want to study the Bible. You must, first of all, have the scriptures. Second of all, you must believe the scriptures. You must believe what the Bible says. And, and you know, I, I've been preaching through the book of Jonah, and I mentioned this in, in you know, the Sunday morning sermons the last couple of weeks, but Jonah chapter one, the Bible talks about how Jonah was swall swallowed by a great fish. It says it four times in the book of Jonah, but Jesus said it was a whale. And, and again, I know that's hard for some people to swallow. Sorry for the, the play on words, uh, but it's not for me. See, because I believe the scripture. Now there's many explanations and I don't have to try to look for science, but one of them, a simple one is the Bible says that God prepared a great fish. This great fish could have been just an exception. It could just been a fish that was prepared specifically for Jonah. Listen, if you believe the God of the Bible created everything, heaven and earth, and he spoke all existence, you don't think God could prepare a great fish that could swallow Jonah? And I'm not even saying that has to be the answer. There may be some great fish out there that can swallow people whole. And I know all the arguments about the, you know, their throats too small and all that. But my point is, you gotta believe this book. And if you'll believe this book, God will give you more light. Now, thank God, I believe every word of it. And thank God, I know you do too. So those are two just very basic principles. If you're going to study the word of God, first of all, you have to have the scriptures. Second of all, you must believe the scriptures. And I'll just say in regards to the, you know, the all the lofty educated crowd, and you got to know the originals in Greek and Hebrew. I, I said this recently too in, in 1 Corinthians class in our Bible Institute. 
Um, I've taken three years of Greek. Brother Brian did too. I took one year of Hebrew. He did too. He was much better than I was. I struggled with it. So. <laughs> oh yeah, you were, <laughs> and uh, much better. And he's he's much smarter, anyways. But so, and but I will tell you this: in my three years of studying Greek, there's not one time the Greek has ever shed light on this Amen. King James Bible. But I will say this King James Bible has shed light on the Greek, and and uh, mm. um, that's another whole subject yeah. for another study. Yeah, but I got the, that. We'll get to that later. Amen. Amen. Well, <laughs> Praise the Lord. So maybe we'll talk more about it. But the point is, you have to have the scriptures if you're going to study the Bible, and then you have to believe the scriptures. So what else? Just some basic I points. got another great one. Isaiah 66, 2. Very familiar verse. You should all know this one. <laughs> he says that often. It says, this is God speaking, to this man will I look. Mm. He that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Mm. So I have yeah. contrition and trembling. If you approach this word as the very words of God that sharpen any two-edged sword, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If you approach it with that and with the humble, yeah. humbleness, God resisteth the proud, giveth grace to the humble, God will show you things. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we know that he's exalted his word above his name. And man, well, that's just a mind-blowing statement. Uh, we know that we're saved at the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he's exalted word above it. And, and you know, I can accept this, first of all, because it's written in the word of God. But logically, it makes sense to me. Because do you realize everything that you know about God that is true? Not that you formed in fashion with your own mind, but everything you know about God that is true comes right here. From his words Amen. and so yeah that's why it's exalted one of the reasons i believe it's exalted by his name because he's going to tell you all about him what else what else let's uh move on what else do we have in regards uh, to some just simple one prayer james 1 5 mm -hmm. as we're talking about how to study the bible james 1 5 if any man lack wisdom let him ask of god yeah so pray and god will show you some stuff yeah, and, and brother, I've, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of examples in your Christian life since you've been saved or you come to a passage and, you know, it doesn't, you can't quite understand it. There's not quite a light there. And and so, like Brother Brian's saying, take that passage and pray. The one thing I, I try to tell folks all the time when they're studying the Bible, this is the God of the universe's words. This is his book. And you would be limiting God if you think you could just read through it one time and study one time and know everything. This is the mind of Christ, his word is. And so you're not going to know everything. But yeah, I think praying is often left out in regards to Bible study. I think sometimes praying is left out in our Christian life a lot and it ought not be because it is where the power of God in our walk and relationship with him. I, I used an illustration one time about a, a light and I have it on the platform and talked about how it could light up this whole room and but until you plug it into the socket it has no power and i liken that a little bit to you know the christian life in prayer you want the power of god you want the illumination from god on his word it comes through prayer i like it brother amen next point would be now this sounds contradictory to what we know about the human heart and mankind but having an honest and good heart mm -hmm. now we're not calvinists we believe when I first heard of total depravity, the first point in Tulip, I thought, okay, I believe that one. But then I realized what they actually taught it meant. It sure. meant that man is so depraved, even his will is depraved, and he cannot receive Jesus until God overpowers him against his own will, unconditional election, and makes him born again, and then he receives Jesus. And, of course, we don't believe that. Right. And the, the man's will is free. A lost man's will is free. That has not been corrupted to where he can choose or reject the truth. And man's heart, apparently, when it comes to truth of the Word of God, is not totally corrupt, at least. Sure. And I, I have scripture, Luke eight fifteen. so we're in the seed. 
But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Mm. So we know the heart is deceitful above all things, and out of the heart proceed evil thoughts. We understand all that. Sure. But apparently there's an exception when it comes to receiving the seed of the word of God. Right. And, of course, we know with the will, or we're all just Calvinists, sure. God, man's will is not totally corrupt to where it can receive or reject truth or Jesus Christ. Yeah, And absolutely, that's a, that's a wonderful, profound truth there. And I think we'll get into this a little bit more. And, and I, I'm sure you agree with this statement, Brother Ryan, especially with that the, the parable there of the sower and the seed. And I think that's why it's a wonderful passage to show how Calvinism is not true. Oh, amen. And, and that, I believe, is dealing with the lost man and how they receive the word of God, right? This is not uh, talking about a saved person. I don't believe it is. That's not what the parable is teaching there. So their heart, how they receive the word, does affect it. But I do believe like there is some things that God will allow everyone to see and that includes a lost man and that's his condition before a holy god god will allow them to see through the scripture who jesus christ is they can receive that with an honest and good heart true light yeah it, it, every man. yeah that's right he lighteth every man so there's an aspect of truth that god allows every man to see and receive now we'll get into some more of this later that when it comes to Bible truths for the church and the saved and those deep things that God has hit, I believe those are are uh, blocked. The, the, the natural man can't receive them, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But there's no doubt. Your heart will affect your Bible study. Your heart will affect yes. the outcome of the Word of God. And if you believe a lie or not, that depends on your heart. depends on your attitude going in. And there's many a JW that I've talked to or a Catholic that knows some Bible, that knows you know a decent amount of Bible, sure. but they're, to they're deceived as the devil himself. Right. And I think your heart, if you're looking to go in there, it's the only book that's alive. That's right. And Doc says this book reads you before you read it. And a man's attitude going into this book determines what he gets out of it. And yeah. if you're looking to justify yourself and be self-righteous, you will find those verses. Absolutely. Because they're in there. And I, and I think this is where we see the danger scary. of so... Yeah, absolutely. It's very scary. So the danger of so many false doctrines. Mm. You know, I think a lot of this, this is going to rabbit trail a little bit, but it's worth it. I, I think when we see a lot of false doctrines and heresy, we'll do what the Bible calls it, heresy, and um, obviously false doctrine also. But it has to do with problem with the flesh. That's what Galatians calls it. Galatians chapter 5. Heresies. Yeah, heresies is a work of the flesh. So I think, brother, that goes hand in hand with what you're saying about your heart. If you have a problem with the flesh, you're going to produce heresies. And that problem with the flesh is not always what we consider it to be, like these outward sins. No, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's recognition. Maybe whatever. But you have this problem with the flesh. You, your, your flesh will reject, your heart will reject what God's trying to show you. And you'll come up with some heresies yeah. because it's a work of the flesh. And boy, haven't we seen that in the recent day and age we live in and get uh, Bible-believing men that have clear testimony of salvation. And they come up with just absolutely heretical doctrine. And my conclusion is they have a problem with the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. The pride is want to make a name for themselves right. to be known, right. which is flesh, obviously. Absolutely. And that's why this book, you better you better approach it with, it. you said, fair, fear and trembling and a contrite heart. And, uh, but yeah, so I think that's wonderful, just practical advice in regards to studying the Bible. Let's get a couple more on the attitude before we get into how to study the actual points. Uh, time and effort slash study. Study to show thyself approved. Yeah. Search the scriptures. 
take some time. I, you know, I've been saved 24 years, and I, I'm, I like to do Bible trivia all the time on bus routes with bus kids and adults and kids, and I, I just love doing Bible trivia. And some people really like it, and some people don't like it, want nothing to do with it. Or when you do this Bible trivia, and I'm not doing it for this reason, but you'll come across people saved 20 years, 30 years, 40 mm -hmm. years, that don't really know anything. And I know they get kind of embarrassed, and sure. trust me, that's not my point to embarrass anyone. But you, I can figure out within a minute or a couple minutes what they know, and, and usually it's not, it's because they just don't spend much time in it, and you spend time with things you're interested in, so. Absolutely, and I think that's a very good point. You know, it reminds me of a sermon illustration I heard many years ago about this young preacher, and I don't remember who he was traveling with, and he was traveling with a well-known older preacher, and uh, this young preacher was just at awe of how this man preached the word of God, how he could quote Bible and all the things, how he could expound on the things of God. And they were traveling and they were traveling in a train and uh, it was early in the morning. And that young man was doing like most people do. No, no problem with this. He was opening up the newspaper, he was reading. And he looked over to that elder, older preacher and, uh, and that older preacher had his Bible open and reading the Bible. And he asked him, he asked, he said, hey, uh, brother, whoever his name was, he said, I just wanna know, how are you able to preach like you do? And how do you know the things you do? And that older preacher gave him a very wise answer. He said, well, you'll never learn these things reading the newspaper. And his point is, it goes to your point is, you don't just wake up with the knowledge of the things of God. You don't just wake up, be able to say, well, it's over here in this chapter and look at this reference over here. It takes hard work and you need to labor in word and doctrine. And so I think, uh, Again, we're trying to lay just a basic principle. You want to you want to study the Bible. You want to learn the Bible. It's going to take hard work. You need to put the effort in. Amen. Another story just popped in my head. Back in my other church, brother uh, Patterson, Jack Patterson came through, and he he said something. He, I'm pretty sure he said he was working on a book. He's been working on a book about the life of Peter Ruckman. Sure. And of course, he's a graduate back in the '70s. And he said that he's gone around and talked to a lot of people, or you know, several people who went to school with him at Bob Jones. Doc was there from 49 to 54, I think. And he said, every one of them said the same thing. We never saw Pete Ruckman where he wasn't reading his Bible. Mm. He said he was kind of a loner. He'd be on the park bench right. in between class. He would be eating lunch. And he just, every time you saw sure. Peter Ruckman, he was reading the Bible. And of course, now we recognize him. He's, you know, yeah. he knows more Bible than anyone, all that kind of yeah. thing. Well, it didn't just come, yeah. which of course he is, he is genius. He's got sure. an IQ of like 160, 170. So that helps. God gifts men, sure. but he had to put the work in. Yeah. And I think though, sometimes people discredit his effort he put in and they just say, well, he was a genius and right. God it's gifted him. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, there's that element yeah. of he labored a day and night in the word and studied. And, and uh, so, yeah, if you want to study the Bible, you want to learn to study Bible, listen, Put the work in, study, put the effort in. That's why God tells us to to study, to show thyself approved. Workman. Amen, a workman. Amen. It is work. All right. So one more on this. This is amazing. It's in our introduction to our podcast. God, you, you know the teacher. God is the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> David, open thou mine eyes. I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Luke 24, then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You know the guy that wrote this. That's it. <laughs> He's living inside you. Amen, amen. So he can give you some insight. You can ask some questions about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that is, that's a, a truth that you need to grasp and get a hold of. You know the author personally if you're saved. And uh, he wants to reveal these things to you. And he'll give you the light that he sees fit during your walk with him as you grow. Uh, but, yeah, you know the author. And that's a great thing. And, uh 
God's, God's the one that will shed the light on. We talked about um, sending another comforter that will lead you into all truth. Obviously, speaking about the Holy Spirit that's going to permanently indwell the believer. That's the promise of the Father. That's John 14, John 16. Then you see that fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. Um, by the way, you know, this idea that God reveals things over time. The Lord told them, and we mentioned this on the last podcast, about how the disciples, they didn't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. They weren't preaching the death, burial, and resurrection during their earthly ministry. But he told them, he said, you know, basically when I rise, then you'll believe. And of course, it was after the resurrection that they believe and God led them into that truth. And then you see them preaching that truth and God will lead you into the same truth. He'll lead you to the truth uh, through the word of God. So I, I think those are great, um, just foundational truths if you're going to study the Bible, again, you, you need to apply these things. You need to pray. You need to work. You know the author. And uh, you got to have a good heart towards the Word of God. you got to have the scriptures. And you got to believe them. And uh, this is all the foundational truths that are necessary uh, to understand the Word of God. Amen. So, let's, let's deal with uh, maybe some examples, some uh, methodology, some... Uh, other manners that we could help the, the listeners and viewers study the Bible. So Okay, so first point I have on how to study the Bible. The Bible is always literal hmm. unless it goes against other scripture or it's obviously figurative. Sure. And uh, I think too often times in this day and age, they'll say, well, that's not what it really means. Well, no, most of the time it really is what it means. Yes. <laughs> and especially start dealing with prophecy and revelation and no, those wild things are really going to happen. The Lord Jesus Christ is really going to come back. The armies are really literally going to come from heaven. Heaven's literally going to open. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that is good. Let's maybe, let, maybe talking about an example. Maybe we'll use John 6, if that's okay. We'll use John 6. And this is probably an example that we can say that we are not to take it literally. But maybe take a minute or two give your thoughts on it and I'll give my thoughts on it why we shouldn't take John 6 literally and and what I'm referring to is the hard saying that many of the disciples could not understand and that's in regards to eating Jesus's flesh and drinking his blood um but uh maybe expound on it a little bit why why you think that's not so that because you mentioned that we should always take it literally right. unless we can't. So this will be an example of saying why we can't, but, but why? Right. Let's it's always that. literal unless it can't be. So you must be born again. You have to be born again. Hell is how literal or figurative. It, it's literal. It doesn't go against scripture. Sure. But John 6 here, he said. Well, this, verse 54. 54. Whoso eateth my flesh, drinketh my blood, hath eternal life. For my flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now, before you read the next verse, yeah, <laughs> just based off of principle alone, and the next verse will help show you why this is figurative. Why? Why do we know, without a shadow of doubt, that that Jesus is not saying literally eat my flesh and literally drink my blood? Yeah, it goes against hundreds of scriptures, but the right. obvious, the obvious ones, the Old Testament, in the Old Testament before the law of Moses. In Genesis 9, mm -hmm. eating of blood is forbidden. During the law in Leviticus 17, the partaking eating of blood is forbidden. Mm -hmm. And of course, in Acts 15, right. under the New Testament, the Council of Jerusalem, right. the eating of blood is forbidden. 
So it cannot mean that. Right. And again, we're saying that. We're not saying this just because like, oh, this is hard for us to understand and it's a hard saying, so we want to just deal away with it. But, but the problem is if you take this teaching literally, and, and the Catholic Church does, this is where the doctrine of transubstantiation comes from. That's to transform a substance into another substance. And that's why the priest would say, you know, this magical prayer in Latin, no one understood what he was doing. But they understood supposedly what they were doing. They were taking that way from the alcoholic wine, which again is just not good Bible study in itself. But And they would transform it into what they said was the literal body and blood of Jesus Christ. And they base that off of this passage here in John chapter six and probably some other passages. But the problem with that, again, as Brother Brian said, that violates very clear scripture that forbids us to do so. And so now we're forced to say this cannot be literal because God's not going to clearly contradict what he tells you in other places here. And uh, so maybe, maybe is there something else? There's a, maybe a few things if you don't hit on that I'll expand on in this chapter, how we know it's not literal. But what, what else would you say? Just that we can, from the context, to say, well, that's just your opinion. No, we've given you before the law, during the law, and even during the church age that they're forbidden to do so. But from this chapter alone, I, I think we can draw the fact that it's not literal. Right, yeah, a couple other reasons for it. So any, anything else you want to expand on it in regards just in this chapter? Yeah, verse 57, as, <laughs> as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. He's interpreting it for you. So if it literally means eating Jesus' flesh, which Jesus isn't here, so you have to invent this transubstantiation, fee fifo for me, pluribus unum, the priest turns into the literal body and blood of Christ, and it's just as efficacious as the death of Christ on Calvary, which is the most blasphemous, yeah. non-biblical garbage that's spewed out of hell. But Jesus says, if, you, if it means chopping on my flesh and, and cutting his veins and drinking his blood, he says, as I live by the Father, so you live by me. Was Jesus, God is a spirit. Right. He's not even a, there's no body. Jesus right. is the body of God. Right. Right. God manifests in the flesh. Unless Jesus was in heaven chomping on his father's flesh and drinking his father's blood, which is, he doesn't even have, then that's, it means what the Catholics say. So yeah. it can't mean it because of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So just in the context alone, uh, you, you see that Jesus Christ, he says, as, it's a comparison. And I think another thing, what you see here in this chapter here is Jesus is really testing their hearts. He's, he's seeing why they're following him. Um, and he really clarifies, you know, if you look in verse six, he says, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said, does this offend you? What? And if you shall see the son of man ascend up, where he was before. Now here's the answer. Look what he says, verse 63. Mm -hmm. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. Mm -hmm. The words I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He tells you right there in the context, this is not literal. I'm not, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and their life. These are, it's a spiritual application. I believe without a shadow of doubt, the Lord Jesus Christ is testing their hearts. Look what it says in the next verse, 64. But there were some of you that believed not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. Anyway, so the point is, 
Many of these disciples, John 6, 66, interesting, mm-hmm. turned back, walked no more with him because they were thinking this was literal. This wasn't literal. This was a, a spiritual application. He's telling them just like what the woman at the well, right? I'm the living water. Drink of me. You'll never thirst again. Right. It's the same idea. And uh, so obviously that partaking of Jesus' body and blood is is picture of receiving Jesus Christ. It's by the blood of Jesus Christ we're saved. And uh, so... But this is just an example of what you said. Sometimes you'll read the Bible and it's not literal. This is a good example of that, I believe, in yeah, John 6. Very few examples. And right. the examples are obvious, they're clear. Right. Jesus says, I am the door. He's not a literal wooden door with hinges <laughs> and a doorknob. Right. right. It's just right. an example. We all know what a door is and how right. a door operates. Yeah. Pictures, allegories, types, and we'll get more into that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so I think that's, that's good. So if you're going to study your Bible, just know that you need to read the Bible, take it literally. Unless it can't be taken, and a lot of times when it can't be, the Bible's going to explain to you what it's speaking about. So, moving on. Number two, who is speaking to whom they are speaking in the context of the words or also dispensational placement, which we're not going to get into, but that's just like Leviticus, for example. Sure. You can't eat this meat. You can't eat that meat. You can't eat that meat. Is that for today? Who's speaking? Moses. Right. Old Testament, before the cross. First Timothy four, you know, is a doctrine of the devil to command to abstain from certain meats. So that's a clear contradiction. One's Old Testament, one's sure. New Testament. No contradiction. We understand what's going on. Yeah, and I think your dietary restrictions is very easy to follow. I like to use this one in regards to dispensations. We're not really necessarily dealing with that, but we are dealing with, you know, you got to know in context who is speaking, who's it speaking to. As a matter of fact, you know, in the garden, Adam and Eve, when God was speaking to them, they couldn't eat meat. They, they only ate of the fruit and the herbs of the ground or the trees. That's that's what they ate. And then we know that obviously after the fall, they were allowed to. And uh, so you see the progression of, of their dietary. And I think that's revealed what in Genesis chapter 9, uh, when the dietary restriction changes. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, in Genesis 9. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure too. God changes apparently. Yeah. And, and so the point is... Um, uh yeah so i should have looked this up before but uh i usually have this three nine three yeah yeah there we go every morning um i'm sorry (laughs) every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you even as the green herb have i given you all things so yeah now every moving thing is meat so that was the point there before the garden it wasn't but as you mentioned then you go to the law now it can't be every moving thing. Now there are certain mm-hmm. moving things that are restricted. And then you get to the New Testament and we see obviously that we can eat every moving thing. So the whole point is you have to know who is speaking and who is he speaking to that, that goes hand in hand with dispensational truths. We'll do a whole podcast on dispensations. We kind of talk heavy about yeah. that in the first three. But uh, wouldn't you agree to the statement that there's lies in the Bible? Oh, yeah. There's There's falsehoods in the bible there's things that are not true that, there's yeah. there's fabrications there's stories there's sin so the point is all that things in the bible because the bible's an honest book and it's going to record the lie of somebody it's going to record these things so you have to know who's speaking and who is speaking to um good point so let's um uh, yeah on. another good one uh 
you know, people use Matthew 24 and dirt of the end or the tribulation and it's a post-trib rapture. Sure. Jesus says Matthew 24, I think 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the Son of Man send forth his angels and they shall gather. There is a post-trib rapture. Sure. Who's speaking? To whom are they speaking? Right. It's the context of the tribulation, tribulation saints. I got Second Chronicles 7.14. Who is speaking? To whom are they yeah, speaking? Right. It's God in the Old Testament talking to Solomon. Solomon's right. praying. He's dedicating the temple. It's talking about the nation of Israel. It's got nothing to do with America, but Apparently nobody knows that. They try yeah. to apply it today, but that's just an example. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, exactly. And there's truths that are given to the Jews, like physical blessings and promises that are not given to the church. And no. therefore you have to know who is talking, who is it talking to. Really help. You. And uh, yeah, that will help in your Bible study. Just always know, I mean, in the New Testament, know this, there are three classes of people. First Corinthians 10, 10, verse 32. You have the Jew, you have the Gentile, and you have the church of God. And so sometimes God is dealing with the Jews, Jewish nation, especially in the book of Acts, or when you get to Daniel's 70th week and you deal with Revelation, different things. Sometimes he's addressing that lost Gentile. And sometimes he's addressing the church of God. And we know in the church of God, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Once someone gets saved, they become part of the church of God. So who is the passage talking about? Is it talking to the Jew? Is it talking to the Gentile? Or is it talking to the church of God? Amen. Next one, start yeah. start with milk. First mm. Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere, sincere milk of the word. Hebrews mm. 5, they that are using milk are unskillful in the word. And I know you talked a lot about this with yeah. Isaiah 28 here, little there, yep. little line upon line. And, yep. And uh, so you do definitely need to start with milk. I, I was reading a good brother uh, mentioned, Brother Darren. Um, he's out of Brother Andrew Sluter's church. But he was talking, he's, he's mentioned a few times about the lack of basic Bible doctrine with Christians. And, hmm. and uh, I, I enjoy the meat, brother. I enjoy digging down in the book. Oh, yeah. But one of the problems is a lot of Christians don't know the fundamentals, the basics, and they can't defend the deity of Jesus mm -hmm. Christ. They don't understand a pre-tribulation rapture. They don't yeah. understand uh, what is justification eternal and sanctification, security, eternal security, standing in state, judgment of Christ, yeah. prayer, witnessing. Two natures. And yeah. I mean, so before you try to master all these deep things yeah. that we're all striving to get a glimpse of, and we'll talk some of those. I mean, those are exciting. They're fun. Yeah. But man, you need to be grounded so you're not moved mm. with every wind of doctrine. And so, yeah, I think being grounded on those basic milk doctrines is good. All right, next one, deception. Of course, <laughs> we're warned about being deceived. Right. But one way to be deceived is by adding to the Word of God. Yes. Subtracting from the Word of God. Mm. We know the devil does that. Right. Eve did that. Or taking the Word of God out of context. That's yeah. the only way you can be deceived. That's the only way you can find contradictions or teach heresy. Or that's the only way you can find mistakes in the Bible. There's plenty of mistakes in the Bible. But if you understand who's speaking and whom right. they're speaking. So that's that's how you can be deceived. You don't want to do that. Study yeah. the Bible. Yeah, don't add. Don't take away. What was the third thing you said? Take it out of context. And take it out of context. Yeah, you yeah. need to know the context. Second Chronicles 7.14. Romans 11, you, that's written about nations. You right. take that and apply it to the individual, then you got you can lose salvation. Yeah. You got verse on judgment seat of Christ, you take that and think it's salvation, like a Catholic will do. And sure. Like, oh, there you go, you can lose salvation. No, it's talking about judgment seat of Christ, you can right. lose rewards, not salvation, but if you don't understand the context. Yeah. So when you're studying, I encourage you to uh, read the chapter, read the verses prior, after, yeah. read the whole chapter, read the chapter before, read the chapter after, and even know the, the writer's intent of the book and who he's dealing with. And um, so that will help a lot, understanding the context. We believe in in uh, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, line upon line here, little on there, little. We'll talk, give you some examples about that shortly. 
but they can never be divorced or misused out of their context. And if you do that, uh, you're going to be in trouble. You can create some pretty bad Bible doctrines just by taking a verse and saying it means this and then running all over the place without understanding the context right. or adding or subtracting. Again, that's what got Eve in trouble in the garden. Yeah. Adding, subtracting, devil, her, so on and so forth. So, yeah, we don't need to add, don't need to subtract, and make sure you understand the context of what you're studying. Next one. Always let the Bible define all words. No, mm. King James Bible. Yes. Before the dictionary, yeah. the Greek, the lexicon, or teachers. That's and I good. got examples of that. Yeah, why don't you give us maybe you got an example? Yeah. Well, we'll give an example. Um, hate is a good one. Luke 12, I believe. Jesus yeah. said, if any man come to me and hate not his father or mother. So you could look up hate in 1828, which is, I guess, maybe okay. Look up hate in the Greek lexicon and see what it means. What's the Greek word mean? No, 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 no. Before you do any of that. That's right. Now, there may be times for that. But before you do any of that, you look up the King James. We have a cross-reference in Matthew 10. Jesus said, if any man come, if any man love father or mother more. Mm, more. So he interprets hate as love more. You also see that in Genesis 29. Yes. It says that. Uh, the Lord saw that Jacob hated Leah. Yeah, yeah Leah. Yeah. And it said, the very next verse, Genesis 29, I think 30 and 31, it says that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. That's right. So hate, it's a contrasting thing. It's he loves somebody less. Hmm. It's not that you hate him and want to kill him and beat their heads in with a baseball bat. And the word of God is all the word anon. What does that mean? You don't even need a dictionary because you look at the cross reference. Of course, you, you know, you got to learn your Bible a little bit. I think it's a sower in the seed parable. In Mark, it says immediately right. with joy, he does whatever. Where it's a non and And the Bible, I'm not going to keep, the Bible is full of suck, sucker, succor. Right. In 2 Corinthians 6, that's quoted in Isaiah where it says help. Yeah. Well, there you go. Succor means help. You don't need, doesn't matter what Scorby, or Scorby, uh, Strong says, or the right. Greek scholar. We know scripture with scripture what the word means. And, and uh, I think the problem when just going to the lexicon or the Greek or the dictionaries first, then you start, yeah, then you start, you start interpreting the Bible based off a of man's opinion instead of yes. the Word of God. And this Bible will define itself. Um, uh, I'm drawing a blank now, and I know you probably know it top of your head, but uh, like the Bible used, there was another term for a prophet in the Old Testament. You know what oh, I'm a seer. Yeah, a seer. Yeah. yeah. And if you run the cross-references about a seer, you'll see the Bible defines a seer as a prophet. That's what it was. And, um, and what's and, interesting is all throughout the Word of God, even hundreds of years after it's in Samuel, he calls them seers. Right, right, exactly. So he uses the archaic words after he told right. you what it meant. Yeah. King James. And the point is you need to, <laughs> you need to run those cross-references to define the Word. And, and, you know, your first example about hate. That helps clarify when Jesus talked about hating mother and father, about being his disciple. Yeah. He's not teaching you to be angry and, man, I despise you. As Brother Brian said, when you define it according to the Bible, comparing let the Bible define itself, it's loving God more than you love mother or father. And so, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, we won't go down this road, but I, I had this discussion uh, in regards to the word replenish. And... Um, mm. I think that's crucial. You let the Bible define the word. Uh, I don't believe it means fill because he uses the word fill in Genesis chapter one in regards to the sea life. But in regards to the man, he says replenish. He's also uses that with Noah um, to replenish. And so, yeah, use the Bible to define the Bible. You can define words. Um, we're not opposed to, you know, looking up and seeing what Webster's 1828 says. Um, but the final authority 
is the Word of God. Amen. I would say there are times you go to, to the Greek or Hebrew that's your last resort. An example would be like the Urim and Thummim. Right. Well, if it's not clear, that's a transliteration. It's not a translation. It means lights and perfection or apostles. Sure. The Greek word is apostolos. Or there's certain times where you know it's transliterations. You might. It, I'm not saying it's a you're evil and it's a sin to go to it. But going to the Greek produces so much heresy. We all know the agape right. phileo thing, but I'll, I'll give you a quick one. The bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, that word judgment seat of Christ, the Greek word is bema. And bema in the Roman times when Paul was writing yeah. was like an award ceremony. Right. So if somebody like the Olympics and sure. they would run a race and there would be you know, a platform and it was called the bema seat, which historically up is probably true. I'm not going to yeah. argue with that. Sure. And they say it wasn't an embarrassment or a shame. It was first place, second place, third place. There's no punishment. There's nothing negative about it. And you create a whole new doctrine of right. what the judgment seat of Christ is or isn't because you went to the Greek and what you did is you believed a lie because the whole Bible does not That's teach right. that in English on the judgment seat of Christ in any Bible. But also here's what I did. This is a quick thing you can do. I got a Young's Concordance where you can look up the Greek word and it'll show every time that Greek word is used in, in the King James right. and how sometimes it's translated differently. So I'd look up the word bima and I see it's used elsewhere. It's not just using that one sure, verse. Sure. That's, how you, that's how you get tricked into a lie. Right. And I see the word bema is used elsewhere throughout the book of Acts, where Paul is before judgment seats, where I think it's justice in first in Acts 19 is before just is before a judgment seat. Bema is the right. Greek word, and he's beat up. Yeah. Those, oh, whoa, where's the award ceremony? Right. So I think your point is well taken. They're teaching there. a lot. I don't even think they're knowingly doing it. Right. They're just they don't know what they're doing. They're trying to sound smart because they don't believe it's word of God and study it. Right. And they go to the Greek to find try to find these nuggets and they're usually clinkers. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> the whole point Brother Brian is bringing there is you want to see what it means in the Greek, that's your prerogative. But your final authority is is the King James Bible, as I just said. I don't believe the Greek's ever going to shed light on what the King James Bible does not shed light on. As a matter of fact, it's going to cause you to stumble yeah, yeah. because he just gave that example with the Bema seat. Historically, if what they say historically is right, and probably is, yeah. it was just a wars of banquet. That's not the terror of the Lord that we're warned about. No, that's not what's going to happen. And so that's the problem. So stick to the book. Stick to the King James Bible. And, uh, yeah, so I think those are good points. And let the Bible define itself. Let's, uh, for time's sake, let's continue moving. What else? We Number seven, the Bible is not always chronological. Mm, that's very important. Simple. Yeah. Ezekiel, I, I just have a couple examples. Ezekiel 38 and 39, you get the battle of Gog and Magog. And yet that's preceding the times of tribulation sure. where it's actually... Uh, the accounts of Revelation, Revelation they're yeah. overlapping. It's yeah. four accounts. Right. It's they take you from the beginning to the end of uh, Daniel's seventieth week four different times. Exactly. But if you're not aware of that and read Revelation, it can get confusing. So. Exactly. An easy illustration to understand that is the Gospels. You got four Gospels. It's not all chronological in order. Now I understand there's four separate books, but his point is well taken. Even within books, sometimes it will jump back and forth. Right, and, Jeremiah uh, is like that. Yeah, yeah. So jumps around. Yeah, it's it's not all chronological, and that's definitely important to understand. What else you got there? All right, observe everything said about the subject, especially when dealing with dispensational or progressive doctrines, mm -hmm. like we already mentioned about eating the meat. That changes. Right. Eating blood. That well, no, that never changed. But eating sure. eating meat changes. Right. So you don't want to just get stuck in one thing when God gives you more revelation. So in John 14, Jesus Christ said, whatsoever you should ask in the Father's name, I will give you. Is that true? Yes. 
Is that the word of God? Yes. Is that the only thing in the Bible about prayer? No. <laughs> yeah, right. There's also, if you keep his commandments, there's also asking uh, ask faith for he that doubteth, sure. wavering, and that man shall not receive anything of the Lord. Yeah. There's things there's that will hinder your prayer. conditions on right. prayer. Exactly. So you can't just take one and then think that's the only thing in the word of God on it. Just know everything the Bible says about an issue and yeah. notice the dispensational stuff too. Absolutely. Definitely study out whatever subject you're studying in its totality. I always like to say you take the whole light of scripture on the matter and uh, so, yeah, you need to get a full understanding. If it's the judgment seat of Christ, see what the Bible says all about it. If it's the great white throne, see what it says all the passages. Yes. In regards to the resurrection, study those out. Try to lay those things out. So study the matters out and exhaust them before you come to your conclusions. Only got a few more. Okay. All right. Number nine, interpret the incomplete in light of the complete. Hmm. And I have one example on this. In Mark... I have written 10, 11. I don't know if that's the complete or incomplete, but you'll know what I'm talking about. He says, if any man put away his wife and marry another, he commits fornication. Right. That's an incomplete statement because in Matthew 19, he says, if any man put away his wife except for fornication right. and marry another. Right. You're knowingly going to deceive yourself or at least not get the whole truth. Both those statements are true. Matthew gives you more information. Jesus Christ in Matthew, the one account he does allow for divorce and sure. remarriage. The other account he doesn't. Well, they're not lies. They're not contradictions. He just gives you more information like he often does in the Gospels. Sure. So interpret the complete statement in light of the incomplete. You know, and I just was thinking of examples and not sure if we'll run them or not, but there's you have to do that. That's how the Bible written, is written. Yes. You know, I come from the background of the military and working even now with the federal government, but especially in the military, we had what was called SOP, Standard Operating Procedures. And in the Bible, the Bible, and in the military, I don't care what it is, if it's changing a tire or if you're doing this procedure, you open up a book and it says step one, you know, get, get your tool. Step two, loosen the lug nuts. Step three, take out the tire off. Anyways, you get the point. It, it goes step by step on how to do something to cover a subject. The, the Bible's not written that way. The Bible's written, and it's written, the Bible says, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9 to 10, just kind of summarize those verses. It says, whom shall he teach to, um, knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk, them that are drawn from the breast. And he goes on to say, line must be upon line, line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And that's how the Bible's written. You need the book of Daniel to understand Revelation. You need the book of Matthew to understand both of those books. So you need to take the totality of the subject of the matter. And like he said, you, you can't take just an incomplete subject or statement and that make the definitive on that matter. You got to look at the whole thing. And uh, you do that by getting to know the Bible and comparing the rest of the passage that deal with that subject. Matter of fact, I'll probably leave this one, but uh, maybe sometime we'll talk about it. Um, in Matthew chapter 24, I'll just read it, then I'll allude to maybe we'll get to it some other day. But it talks about there, and they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. And I've heard so many teachings on this. This is the rapture, and this is the you know church, and finally getting out of here. See, the two are on the field, and they're going to be taken. Well, I think that's building a doctrine on an incomplete statement. You run those cross-references, and I'll just summarize it quickly. It likens it unto Noah's flood. Well, Noah's flood, who was taken? It was the wicked that were taken. Was it the righteous? 
The righteous stayed, no one in his family. Mm-hmm. The wicked were taken. You run those references to Luke chapter 17, Matthew chapter 13, you'll find out the wicked are taken where the eagles gather together. His disciples ask him, where will they be taken? And he tells them, where the eagles are gathered together. It's the gathering of the bodies of the feast of the great God after the battle of Armageddon. I just learned something new. That's where they're taken. That's in context of Noah's flood. Get it? The the judgment pours out. The wicked are taken away. And he tells them there where they're going to be taken. Yeah, I've always wondered because he says, where, Lord? And he's like, where where are the eagles? Yeah. When we all know that's Armageddon and the eagles will come and eat up the bodies and all that. Like, what does that got to do with that? That's where they're going to be taken. There you go. Amen. Word of a King podcast. Yeah, the Word of a King podcast. (laughs) And that is a beautiful picture of Noah's flood. It's the wicked. Yeah. So it's not it's not the church being raptured there. Anyways, let's let's move on. A couple more couple things. Couple more. Here. Observe God's teaching methods. He God uses types. Mm. Si- types are amazing. Similes. I am the door. I mean, you know, learn about a door. You learn. The Christians are compared to sheep. Learn about sheep. You learn about what Christians are like. Allegories. But that's pretty rare. I think only occurs Galatians four, Mount Sinai, sure. and Hagar and Sarah, and all that. Isaac and Ishmael. Parables. That's how God uses the methods God uses to teach in the Word of God. And uh, I think parables are very underrated. Brother Joe Dolman has got a good book on the parables, and he emphasized the importance mm. of it. And God tells you the importance of it. I, I think of types. Maybe we'll just talk about one here. And and uh, God thinks a lot about types. Oh yeah. And uh, Brother Brian, why don't you why don't you explain? what God thinks so much of the type of him being the rock, and we know he's the rock, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Christ is the rock, is talking about the Old Testament. But why don't you talk about this type of Christ being a type, which is the rock, in regards to Moses? Yeah, Moses is one of the original Catholics in the Bible. And what Moses did, <laughs> God had Moses strike the rock, and water came out. And then there was a second time where Moses is getting all mad, and God says to speak to the rock. Mm. Because the rock is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is only crucified once. That's right. He's one sacrifice forever. And, of course, the Catholic, I say Catholics because the Catholics teach right. that he needs to be crucified every Sunday at, at a Mass. Because right. his death on the cross wasn't efficacious enough. <laughs> that, you know, you have to have purgatory, and you have to have baptism, take away original sin, and you have to have the priest holding up that. And it's a continuation of the sacrifice on Calvary. That's what they teach. Jesus' death on the cross wasn't good enough. It wasn't... Wasn't good enough for us. We need we need to help him out. But Moses hit that rock twice. Well, mm. Jesus only smitten once. Right. He said to speak to the rock. Moses didn't do it. And because God is so big on types, and that rock was a type of Christ, you don't hit that rock twice. Moses in Deuteronomy 32 says, Because you sanctified me not in the presence of the children of Israel, yeah. go up to Mount Nebo. I'll let you see the land, and you're going to die up there in that mountain. And Joshua's going to lead him in. Why, Moses? Why, Lord? Because you hit a rock. That's it. And again, that rock is a picture of Christ. And as Brian said, you, the Lord Jesus Christ is only going to be smitten one time. Amen. Once for all, the book of Hebrews says, and uh, sat down on the right hand of the Father. And so it just shows you the importance of types. God thought a lot about that type as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when he was smitten, the water came out. That's when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit likened unto water. And listen, here's the truth for the church age. Guess what you do now? You, you All you have to do for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He, Moses was instructed to speak unto the rock. It's that calling. And uh, so what you see there is the picture there of uh, that the Lord's not going to be crucified twice. And because Moses broke that type, he doesn't get to go in the promised land. By the way, you break that type, 
in reality and think that you're going to get into heaven by any other way than the finished work of Calvary, then you won't go into the promised land either. So uh, mm. beautiful types of pictures there, and they're sound doctrine. Amen. What else you got? Enoch's there? a great type. Enoch's mm -hmm. raptured before the flood. He's a type of the church. Enoch never dies. He never will die. If you make Enoch one of the two witnesses, can't won't work. Right. If Enoch dies, you have no type of a person who never dies and never will die. And that's the church that's raptured. And that's he's so raptured significant. before judgment. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. He's raptured before judgment, which is Noah's flood. And the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 24 uses the days of Noah and likens it into the days of the great tribulation. And just before that, you have Enoch who lives. Enoch is taken. He doesn't die. And I always like to point out, Brother Brian, Enoch did not live one day in the days of Noah. The church won't be one day in the days of Noah. Noah is born after Enoch is taken. He doesn't live one day in the days of Noah. And you can just go with that. He yeah. says that, and then I'm thinking, okay, well, when did the church start in Daniel's 70th week and the first three and a half right. years? I know Brother Donovan wrote a book on that, and I, I think it's really good. And you know, it's a possibility, sure. but that shows you the church did not start during, you know, the R. Peter upon this rock right. and hold my church and where's over two or three are gathered. That's not the body of Christ. Yeah. That could be a church in the wilderness. And you, that's the church in the wilderness with Joshua yeah. as a type of Jesus. And you just go with that thing. And that's how God, that's we're talking about studying the Bible here. That's yeah. how you can learn your Bible. So types, types are good. Types, types are important. Study them out. What else do you have? All right. Two more. The Bible interprets itself. Mm. John 6, we already looked yes. at. Right. Uh, Revelation 1, I think about, where you have the seven stars. He tells you that they're the seven angels mm -hmm. and the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. Yeah. And I could go on and on and on. Matthew 13 is an interesting one, the parables. Right. He says the seed is the word of God. Right. The fowls are the devil. Yeah. The harvest is the end of the world. And he says the fire is symbolic. It really represents sleep. And no, he doesn't say that. <laughs> he doesn't interpret the fire because the fire is fire. Right. But, you know, in these parables, Jesus will tell you the Bible will... You can study the Bible. The Bible many times will tell you what things mean. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, stick with the Bible. The Bible will interpret itself often if, if it wants to be interpreted. And the things that the Bible silent on, we should remain silent on. We do the best um, to study those things out. And uh, obviously, I do believe God does conceal some things. The Bible says that. It is the glory of the king to search them out. So I'm not saying everything is so obvious. But yeah, use the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. And uh, so we gave some examples, I think, about even like the word hate, how we use that. Let the Bible defer, define that and other things. Right. Thou shalt not kill. Jesus quotes it, says, thou shalt commit no murder. Right. So, so it's okay to kill. Right. And we see Sometimes. lawful. <laughs> yeah. We see lawful times that God allows to kill. And one of those is self-defense. And uh, you are allowed to defend yourself, your family. That's, you know. So anyways, yeah, let the Bible define itself. One more, of course, rightly dividing is so important. There are seven judgments in the Bible. I know you know that, yep. but some of the viewers may not know that. If you're not aware of that, you're going to come to the wrong conclusions. You're going to teach heresy. Well, we got to feed the sheep, and we got to take care and visit people in prison and feed the hungry, and that's how we get into heaven. Well, no, it's the judgment of the nations that, talking about people during the Great Tribulation, entering the millennium. There's seven judgments. Judgment seat of Christ is not the white throne judgment, which isn't the Christian self-judgment, which isn't the judgment of sin on Calvary. There's... Uh, six different gospels if you get the wrong gospel you're gonna sure. go to hell so but my last point is don't over divide that's good that's good aka hyper dispensationalist yeah. bereans dry cleaners you must rightly divide the word of truth it opens up the bible it yes. makes the bible it clears up so many contradictions but you don't want to over divide and i'm teaching you know life of christ at sure. the lighthouse baptist institute 
And I'm showing them the importance of that, how Jesus Christ came to fulfill the promises to Israel, Romans 9, 4 and 5, Romans 15, 8, and Paul is the apostle of the Gentiles, and Jesus Christ came to fulfill the promises. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. He came to fulfill the kingdom of heaven, the physical kingdom of the Jew. But I don't want to be a hyper, and I showed them how, remember the words of Jesus Christ. Right. Paul said, if any man consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is proud knowing nothing. You can't hyper-divide and say nothing to Matthew, Mark, Luke, right. and John is for the church because the revelation was given to Paul. That is bunk. Jesus Christ knew about the revelation. Yeah. He's God. And there's plenty of stuff in John for the church. Uh, ask, seek, knock, Sermon on the Mount. That's for the church. Sure. Uh, forgive your enemies. Love your enemies. That's for the church. Don't kill. That's for the church. There's so much in the Old Testament, of course, Proverbs and Psalms, yeah. that is doctrinally for the church. Right. Just because the revelation wasn't there, just because it wasn't written to the church, doesn't mean there's not plenty in Hebrews and James and yeah. and um, Psalms and Proverbs that's for the church. It matches Paul. So don't over-divide. You can get too far on the other end yeah. and over-divide. The difference between Peter and Paul and Paul and Peter and Paul's prison of... I think that's it's craziness. Yeah. You're just over-dividing it. You're trying to make something that's not there. Sure. Ditches on both sides of the road, we always say, yes. and definitely hyper-dispensationalists, they go too far with uh, uh, over-dividing. Again, we'll do a whole podcast on dispensationalism. I know we did heavily in the last three trying to explain tribulation salvation, but that's another whole podcast in itself. And, and it's very worthy to mention in regards to one of the last things that Brother Brian wanted to bring out about starting the Bible. Do not over divide the word of God. You got to rightly divide it, not be a hyper. And uh, so, as I mentioned before, we believe there's plenty of doctrinal truth, even in the general epistles to the body of Christ. You need to filter yes. them through Paul. If they don't contradict what Paul says, they're complementary to what Paul says, then listen to me. They are doctrine to the church. Man. Even the book of Hebrews, I know it's written to the Hebrews. But all those truths about the blood of Christ and sufficient once and for all and everything he did and, uh, you know, all those things in the book Hebrews, that's doctrinal truth for the church age. So you better learn to rightly divide and not over divide. Um, you got another... I just had a couple examples yeah. on that. In Romans 9, Paul quotes Hosea, which if you read the context, is talking to Israel. It's not talking to the church. Paul applies it to the church, says, I will call them my people, which were not my people. I will call them beloved, which are not beloved. That is not talking to the church. Mm. And it's not even prophetic to the church. Right. But Paul uses it, which tells me I know the author can quote right. himself and all that. That tells me it's okay to apply if it's true. And Absolutely. it is true of both. Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. Right. People use that for a soul winner. Is it true to an individual as far as who's lost? I think it is. Yeah, There's sure. nothing wrong with it. You have liberty. There's nothing wrong with quoting these verses. One more, Acts 13, verse 40 and 41. Right. Of course, 38, 39, great message. Paul's preaching Antioch, and be it known, therefore, that through this man's preaching, you forgiveness of sins. And then he warns him. He quotes in Acts 13, verse 40 and 41. But fear lest the worst thing come upon you, and I work a miracle which shall not be believed in that day. Or Not miracle, but I work a work which... He's quoting... What is it? I think Habakkuk 1. Hmm. Paul quotes Habakkuk 1. If you, We're not going to go there for time's yeah. sake. If you go to Habakkuk 1 and read it, it's a, I think, pre-captivity book. It's a warning about, in the context, it's Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon, a wicked lost king of Babylon that God sends to bring judgment on Israel. Paul quotes it and applies it to preaching the gospel, and you better fear, I guess, warning you about hell. Sure. That's not talking about that, right. but Paul did it. Yeah. And I'm, I think God's fine that he did it. It's okay yeah. to do if it's right. true of both accounts. That's my point. Yeah, and that's, that's rightly dividing and rightly applying, right? And again, just as you're talking, just example after example where um, the writers of the Bible do this. I mean, you have Paul using Abraham as a type 
He draws an aspect out of Abraham's life about when Abraham, you know, looked at the stars and believed God in Genesis 15. Well, that, that he likens that how we need to simply believe God and have faith. But, but again, he's not teaching that Abraham was saved, just right. like you and I believe in a death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah. That's the error of that. But what your point is, and well taken, is it's okay to go and imply passages that have a good doctrinal sound application to us. And even though there may be a historical context difference or even a prophetic differences, but that's why you must rightly divide the word of truth and rightly apply. I think in closing, I want to just mention a couple and maybe we'll look at a couple of these references, but another example, this one we don't have to turn the references to and we can just talk about it, is another great way to study the Bible is the law of first mention. Uh, in the law of first mention, that. yeah, it's okay. <laughs> the law of first mention is obviously basically find out when the Bible uses the the word for the first time, and oftentimes it will give you its kind of connotation or meaning throughout the Bible. Doesn't mean it specifically has to mean that every time, but it kind of gives you God's mind on the matter. So, brother Brian, why don't you talk about the word love and the first time the word love shows up in the Bible? Interesting. It's used for a man's love for his son. Mm. And of course, we know the typology yeah. and all that, but it's in Genesis 22 with Abraham offering up Isaac. Yeah. And so it's very interesting there. And I, I think that illustration, um, you have a son, I have a son, is very fitting because without trying to sound wrong, oftentimes a love between a man and a woman is really lust, right? And it's not true love. The world doesn't understand true love because they don't understand the love that God had towards us and he gave his only begotten son. So true love is a love between a father and a son. It's unadulterated love. There's nothing in it. He just, it's pure love. And so the Bible will define love and the example it gives is the love between a father and a son. And so that's, that's true biblical love. And obviously, as you said, the type points to how much God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son. Amen. Uh, so law first mentioned, another one I like to bring out is the law first mentioned in regards to the word sign, not, not signs, plural, but sign. The very first time that shows up is in the book of Exodus when uh, Moses is called at the burning bush and he's called to go and speak and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And, you know, he basically is going back and forth with God and how can I, they're not going to hear me. And that's the very first time in Exodus chapter, uh, I think it's four there, that the word sign shows up. And you have some amazing truths that you're going to find out. It's the first time the word sign shows up. It's connected to the nation of Israel. It's also the first time that anyone handles a snake. He casts the rod down. Mm. He grabs it. It's a snake at that point in time. He grabs it, turns back to the rod. But we know the signs about, uh, you know, handling deadly things and that connected with the apostles. It's also the very first time that anyone's healed in the Bible. He sticks his hand in his bosom, pulls it out. So leprosy, puts it back in, he's healed. So again, healing is a sign connected to the nation of Israel. And you learn all those truths by understanding the law of first mention. Look up the first time the word sign shows up. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, for the Jews require a sign. They seek after wisdom. But those are truths that you can glean from the law of first mention. One last thing I want to look at, brother, and maybe we can read these verses is uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and then we'll close out this podcast. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and Paul is dealing with the wisdom of the world versus the wisdom of God. And this is just a fascinating, fascinating chapter. Um, 
I want to pick up just a little bit of context here of verse six. It says, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Perfect in the Bible is has to do with complete, not sinless, dealing with Christians saved there. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. And again, I just sit and meditate on this and think about, man, this is the wisdom of God. And it's in a mystery. It's hid. And literally, God has hid himself in his mind, in his thoughts, in this book. And boy, if you can just wrap your mind around that thought, it's mind-blowing. This is, this is where you're going to get the wisdom of God. Now, Verse 8 says, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So again, they didn't understand who Jesus Christ truly was. They didn't have the wisdom of God. It was in mystery form. Verse 9 says, but as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, I know I just taught on this in 1 Corinthians, but it's worth bringing out in this podcast. And I've heard a lot of good sermons in regards to verse 9. And, and, and I will say in balance, this kind of goes with what you just said. You can apply something and there's a truth there. But what the sermon is, they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll read verse 9, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, and then you'll hear a sermon, a wonderful sermon on heaven, and man, how we, we can't even imagine what it looks like. We can't imagine. Uh, it's never entered in our eye. It's never entered into our ear. It's never entered into our hearts, the things that God has prepared for us. And, you know, all this preaching, getting you all excited about heaven, and we should be excited about heaven. It's a place that God has prepared for us. The problem with that, Brother Brian, is that's not what it's teaching. No. It's not what it's teaching at all. Matter of fact, I think what it's literally teaching is so much better. I think it is just amazing the fact that you could get up there and preach a sermon in regards to, man, how wonderful heaven is. And, man, we truly can't understand it until we get there. And I understand there's an element of truth to that. But how much more wonderful is what God is about to show us. Look what it says in the next verse, in verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Verse 9 is talking about the natural eye. Verse 9 is talking about the, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> natural ear. Verse 9 is talking about the natural heart. And they can't understand the things that God has prepared for us. But what it reveals is God's revealed them to us by his Spirit. And that's amazing. So what the natural man can't receive, that's verily, very. That's clear in verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness on him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. That explains to you verse 9. But God's revealed them to us. What amazing thought. Hmm. That there's a place that the natural man can't imagine. He can't see. He can't hear. Has not enduring heart. But God's giving you his book to reveal those things to you. And that's why verse 16 concludes. But we have the mind of Christ. Now, I laid all that out mm. to say this in the next five minutes of closing. God tells you how to go about doing this. God tells you how to learn these things that he wants to reveal to you by his spirit. He says in verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, how? Comparing spiritual things with spiritual 
this kind of encapsulates many of the things that we've said already. But if you want to learn to study the Bible, you have to take line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little, Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 10. And you do this by comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Those spiritual things are the words of God. And you'll do that. God will teach you truth. So I want to illustrate this, and then then we'll close out and give you final thoughts. But maybe you can uh, help me read some of these passages. Uh, Why don't you get Job chapter 41. Mm. I'm going to get Psalms 74, Job 41. And I want you to read just verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down. Now, I've read the commentaries, brother. I'm sure you've read the commentaries. What are are some things people or commentaries had said Leviathan is? Any, any? Well, I have a footnote in my Bible that says whale or a whirlpool. Hmm. So here it says whale or whirlpool. I've I've seen commentaries say it's a hippo. I've had commentaries say it's, you know, uh, a sea creature or whatever, and they're talking about a literal physical sea creature, and they call all types of things, alligator, hippo, uh, whirlpool, I don't know, I'm not sure how they get that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, this isn't. Yeah, so anyways, but now let's let's apply what God said about how he's going to reveal truth to us. I'm going to read Psalm 74. Can you get Isaiah 27? Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is, is show you how you do this now, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Line upon line, precept on precept, here little and there little. Who or what is Leviathan? Well, we read there in Job 41.1, and by the way, if you just read the chapter, you'll get a good idea who Leviathan is. Um, it tells you very specifically all the details and his attributes, and you know he's the, the father of the children of the pride yeah. and everything else, and it's very revealing. But, but let's stick to this principle. Psalms chapter 74, verse 14 says, Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gaves him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. The only thing I want to draw out here is talk about Leviathan, talk about some of the other details later, but he has heads, plural. Breaketh the heads. So now we've learned a little bit more truth about Leviathan. He has heads. All right, why don't you read Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, mm. the piercing serpent, mm. even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So now we've learned some more truths. Leviathan is called by a couple different names. What else is Leviathan called? Not only is he Leviathan, what else is he in that passage? A dragon. A dragon. A piercing serpent. A piercing serpent. Oh, I'm sorry. His footnote, the Hebrew, crossing like a bar instead <laughs> of piercing serpent. That didn't help much. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, so again, now we've ran another passage. We've compared more spiritual with spiritual. And now we see Leviathan is called that piercing serpent, and he's called a dragon. Now, this is going to help us to define who Leviathan is. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent, seems like we just read that in Isaiah chapter 27 about Leviathan. Listen, called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, He was cast into the earth and his angels cast out with him. So the Bible defines the Bible. As you said earlier, let the Bible define the Bible. 
We did line upon line. We compared spiritual with spiritual. We started off with Leviathan. Who or what is Leviathan? We've seen that he had heads. We've seen that he's called the serpent. We've seen that he's called the dragon. And when we come to Revelation chapter 12, of course, we know in verse 9 that dragon, the serpent, is called the devil and Satan. So who is Leviathan? He is the devil. He is Satan. And uh, so that's just a practical application of how you can study comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And brethren, let me just leave you with this. God will reveal truths to you that the natural eye has never seen, that the natural ear has never heard, and that the natural heart has not even entered into it. He'll reveal to you spiritual truths beyond your imagination. And so, uh, Brother Brian, I'm going to give you the closing thoughts in this podcast, but I've enjoyed, and hopefully this has been a help and a blessing to those wanting to learn to study the Bible. Uh, so what, what are you saying in closing, brother? Amen. Uh, something that popped in my head, I would just say, you know, I went to PPI studying under Dr. Ruckman, Brother Donovan, learned great truths from them, and I was given a Schofield Bible before I was even saved, and Clarence Larkin, and I've, I've learned so much, but I've been coming Pastor Chad's church less than a year, and I've learned a lot. And at the church I was from, a, a brother, Jamie Torzik, and I were kind of helped running it. They were without a pastor. And Jamie taught verse by verse through Genesis, and I learned so much from yeah. his teaching on Amen. Genesis. And I've come to the realization, and I've, I've learned with myself, you know, the Lord's shown me things, not that he's not shown anybody else. Maybe he hasn't, I don't know, but things that I've never read in a book or a commentary that yeah. I've never heard. Maybe they were said, and I wasn't in class that day, but... My point is this, anybody, smart, dumb, whatever, the Lord doesn't care. You just believe this book yeah. and compare scripture to scripture and put a little bit of work, you know, yeah. read it eight hours a day or anything, <laughs> put put in some work, have a humble heart, just some of the things we talked about. God will show you things. Amen. Probably, you know, he'll show you things he's never shown anyone else. There's so many things in there that, that have yet to be untapped yeah. that God will show you if you just put the time in, believe what you're reading is the word of God. Most Christians, they're just shut off. God shut them off. They won't get any more revelation because they've already got the book figured out. Yeah. I know the judgment seat of Christ is just for rewards. Well, what if I come across a verse that doesn't say that? I know I'll go to the Greek and I'll make the Bible say what I already know it means mm -hmm. because I've already got the Bible figured out. You see the attitude there? That's what every Greek scholar, Hebrew scholar, non-King James yeah. Bible believer does. I already know what the Bible says, the gap. There is no gap. So any verse that says there's a gap, well, I already know there's not a gap. So I'll go to the Greek or Hebrew and change it to match my ignorance. Right. So yeah, just believe the book and study it and God will show you things. That's amen. It. Amen. So uh, praise the Lord. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you. Um, maybe uh, comment below what you would like us to address in future podcasts, a subject. It doesn't matter if it's common or controversial. We're looking for good ideas to address in the near future. Uh, we have many more ideas. We hope you uh, continue to tune in every week. And again, these are released every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. I hope you're up, out of bed, already prayed, read your Bible, and you can enjoy a cup of coffee, sit in your house, listening to the Word of a King podcast. Until next time, we pray that you would study the Word of God and you would please your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. The key to understand the Word of God is for the author to show you what the thing says. If you understand that book, you get for the author. Then he opened their understanding.